Well, you not believe this, but many years ago, I used to be a fairly good squash player, probably above average, and uh, I was still a bit overweight, but uh, I used to play a couple of times a week, and um, I used to love beating the youth guys in the church, and uh, because I, I wasn't particularly the fastest on court, but I understood the game well. And I had a pretty good range of shots. And for any of you who play squash, the key thing is to control the tee in the middle of the court. And so I would stand in the middle of the court and play little sweetie shots, low into the corners, and then sometimes hard shots bouncing off the front wall right to the back wall. And some of these guys that I was playing against, you know, were really into fitness in a big way, and they were running around like mad. Uh, and then really embarrassed that the minister, 20 years older than they were, was actually beating them on the squash court and would almost certainly tell the congregation on the Sunday afterwards. But there were some times when I turned up to play squash, I could hardly move. Uh, even before I went to the Isle of Man, I spent a year working in a Methodist church in Belfast, and unusually, they had their own set of squash courts and their own tennis courts, which was amazing. And the senior minister who was there and I used to play squash together. And because he was the boss man, he had keys for the court. And so sometimes we would turn up at 11 o'clock at night to play squash. And uh, normally it was really, really good. But sometimes you just were so lethargic that I could hardly move. And uh, he always seemed to be able to keep going. Although I discovered about a year after I left that he actually had a massive heart attack on the court, and uh, which didn't do him any good. But sometimes serving in the church can be a little bit like that. Sometimes, maybe I come into the office on a Monday morning, and uh, you just think, do you know, I'm just ready for anything this week. And then other times you just feel, oh no, not that again. I don't really want to do this again. I really don't. And sometimes it's really not just about whether we've had enough sleep or what activities we have in our diaries, but sometimes it's to do with where we're at spiritually. Sometimes we end up at the start of a week spiritually lethargic. And we end up just doing all the stuff that God has given us to do in our own strength, using our own natural charisma, our own natural personality, but not really depending on the Holy Spirit working within us. And I'm sure some of you can identify with that. Just doing the stuff that you're good at. And you know you've done it loads of times before but then you're doing it in your own strength. In a sense, we were saying that to the band just half an hour ago. Because most of the band can play instruments reasonably well and can sing reasonably in tune, it is a positive, well, pretty well in tune. It's all relative. But um, they can just turn up, or they could potentially just turn up on a Sunday night and uh, do the practice, do the rehearsals, and uh, put on a good performance. But unless they are doing it 
under the enabling power of God's Spirit. It won't actually lead us into the presence of God. And ultimately, in the light of eternity, it will have minimum impact. I discovered that I remember I, I used to do lots of work in primary schools. You can again tell this was many years ago. And I used to do maybe assemblies in primary schools, about 10 primary schools every month. And so I used the same assembly um, for all the 10 schools. And uh, so by the time I got to the 8th or 9th or 10th school, like I could do it without even looking at a note, without even, I could do it like asleep. And uh, so I remember turning up to this school in a little place called Polrose, which was a big council scheme in Douglas in the Isle of Man. And I had done assemblies there loads and loads of times before. I knew the headmaster really well. I got on really well with the kids. It was going to be a breeze. Anyway, I turned up and I started to do the assembly. And no sooner had I started when there were some kids maybe near the back of the assembly hall that were just messing about and uh, the teacher had to come across and interrupt and take them out of the assembly hall and then there were other kids started messing about and in the end the headmaster came over and took the microphone off me and really gave the kids a right rollicking and said whenever we have a special guest in school you will show him respect and all of that you know And then after he'd done all of that, I had to stand up and do another nice assembly. But I realized on the way out that actually the issue wasn't just the kids or even the headmaster's response, which probably wasn't the best either. But actually the problem was I was trying to present a pretty good assembly that I had prepared pretty well, but I was trying to do it in my own strength. And it's easy for every one of us to fall into that trap. I wonder how many of us turn up at FNL on a Friday night and uh, we've hardly time, you know, to get home from work or whatever, to get into FNL. And uh, we just think, well, it's another Friday night. We can handle it. Just whatever comes our way, we can deal with it. But actually, we're not doing it in dependence upon God's Spirit. I wonder, is that true as we run the Alpha course on a Wednesday night? I wonder, is it true in so many of the things that we do day after day, week after week, year after year, and we know that we can just do them, but actually because we're not doing them with the enabling of the Holy Spirit and independence upon the Holy Spirit, they end up becoming relatively unfruitful. Someone said that before Pentecost, the disciples found it hard to do easy things. And after Pentecost, they found it easy to do hard things. And that's because after Pentecost, they were far more conscious of the inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And again, as John Stott says in one of his commentaries, before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. I'm sure you remember the scenario. The disciples 
uh, the very end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24. And Jesus is about to leave them and go back to heaven. And I suppose the next big step for them is to be commissioned. In a sense, they've already been commissioned and they've been called by God to go and like turn the world upside down, to go and spread the good news of the gospel. And I imagine even though some of them are nervous, in the light of seeing the resurrected Christ, they probably, you know, are really can't wait to get going and to see how many people come to follow the Messiah and how many people are healed and how many people's lives are transformed by their preaching and by their deeds. I mean, after all, they had just spent three years listening to Jesus. They had just spent three years in his company, watching what he was doing. Surely if anyone was prepared to go out and to do stuff for the glory of God, it was the disciples. But Jesus said to them, hold, hold on a minute. Don't you go anywhere. You stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Because unless the Holy Spirit comes, and unless the Holy Spirit is upon you and within you, you actually will be able to accomplish nothing of any significance. A couple of years ago, Mark was down speaking at Cape and Ray Hall, just north of Lancaster, to like a big youth conference. And um, a number of years ago, the principal there was a guy called Major in Thomas. I knew there was somebody of my age who would know the answer to that. And um, I think he's probably long past. But um, he wrote a number of books. And in one of his books, he says, for 13 years, I've been trying to do God's work. And what he discovered was that he had come almost to an end of himself. And he was just like almost burnt out. He really just felt he couldn't give much more. And he cried unto God, for 13 years, God, I've been trying to do your work. Instead of for 13 years, allowing you to do your own work through me. Let me say that again. For 13 years, I've been trying, I've been trying to do your work. Instead of for those 13 years, allowing you to do your work through me. And he came to a fresh understanding and a fresh realization that day by day, he needed to be utterly dependent on the Spirit of God if he was going to see anything significant happening in his ministry from day to day. And so that's what we're thinking about tonight. Not in too much depth, but it really is important. And it struck me a bit like Major Ian Thomas on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the day in the church when we celebrate Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is about 20 years ago. And it was Pentecost Sunday in our church in the Isle of Man. 
And uh, we were singing and worshiping, and I was probably preaching a sermon, something to do about the Holy Spirit. And suddenly we had a massive power cut, and all the lights went out, and there was no stuff for the band, and, you know, there was no, some of you wouldn't even know what an overhead projector is, but uh, in other words, we had no visuals or anything like that at all. Do you remember Andy White? Some of you remember Andy White? We, I think we probably still have an overhead projector up on the balcony. And one day he came across it in a cardboard box. And he looked at it and said, what on earth would you do with that? And uh, for those of my generation, before there was all this multimedia stuff, we used to do overhead projectors. And so everything was cut out. And the church was just almost in darkness. And what a sort of prophetic spur to us. Almost like, do you know... A word that we didn't expect. It was probably more significant than the rest of the sermon. But we felt that what God was saying to us, that unless the power is in the house, you know, nothing effective is going to happen. And that's really what this is all about. Unless we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, then we cannot seek to achieve anything for God's glory. So I want to read just six verses tonight, and I'm really just going to comment on them briefly from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, they won't be totally familiar, but let me just read them to you uh, at this point. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, Letters of commendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When I first looked at those verses, it sort of took me back 20 or 30 years, whenever uh, all my sermons had to commence with the same letter in terms of each of the main points that I was giving. And uh, so you, you read through these six verses and automatically you see three big words beginning with C and you think, oh, I can hang a sermon on that. Anyway, forgive me, but that's what I've done tonight. So the, the first thing that we see here is that the Spirit provides us with commendation. A wee while ago in the church, we were interviewing someone for one of the positions uh, in the church. And uh, whenever we sort of read through um, his uh, submission and his application form, and then we sort of, uh, well, I don't know what everybody else did, but then I sort of looked up his background on Facebook and and, uh, not just on Facebook, but what do you call that other thing that uh, tells you? No, not just Instagram. 
No, not just Twitter. Oh, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. So I actually had to join LinkedIn in order to get it all. And, and whenever I read this stuff, I thought, like, this guy, why is he applying for a job in our church? Because, like, he appears to be an international superstar. Um, you know, um, and, and um, but, you know, it, all these references and all these commendations and all these things written about him. And I thought, either he's absolutely brilliant or delusional. And we discovered he was delusional. Um, but one of the problems is that we think sometimes that ultimately what matters, I've already hinted at this. You know, it's really brilliant if, like, Ailey, you've got a first-class honors when it comes to playing the keyboard. Like, that helps. But it's not enough to be a worship leader. She knows that. I mean, it's great if you have both, isn't it? <laughs> but ultimately, what's important is that she is filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit and is dependent on the Holy Spirit as she plays the notes with all the skill that she has. And the same is true in every area of the life of the church. I used to have a treasure in my church in the Isle of Man. And like whenever I first went there, there were only about... 30 people or maybe even 25 and it wasn't very you know there weren't many people to choose from and so this girl she's older than me um was was the church treasurer and like she didn't have a scooby about money you know it was almost as if she had like three glass bottles you know sitting on the mantelpiece and missionary fund went into one glass bottle and you know something else went into the other glass bottle whatever you know and uh you know, she really didn't have any financial background whatsoever. But she loved the Lord Jesus, and she lived in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and she had a passion to see the church grow and develop for the sake of his kingdom. Now, ideally, and I think that's what we have here, it's great to have somebody who actually has all the expertise, but is also living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit and is also passionate to see God's kingdom come. But in the final analysis, I don't want a treasurer or a worship leader or a Sunday school teacher or an FLEV leader who's got all the certificates of commendation relevant to their sphere of ministry but are just doing it all in their own strength. Because ultimately, that achieves nothing. And so, these people who were opposing Paul were almost sort of saying to Paul, Paul, where's your certificates? You know, where's your letters of commendation? Because in that context, um, it was quite normal. Even if you were going to uh, receive hospitality uh, somewhere very distant from your home, you quite often would have had a letter saying, look, I know this guy, please give him a night's accommodation and, uh, and you can trust him absolutely or whatever. And that was also true in terms of the church. Sometimes people who were visiting evangelists and they were traveling miles from their hometowns or whatever. And so an apostle or a church leader would give them a, a little letter of commendation saying, you know, this person's coming uh, with our commendation and you know they're right up there 
please treat them well and allow them to minister to the glory of God within your sphere of ministry also. And so there was this group and they kept coming to Paul saying, Paul, you know, where's your letters of commendation? And Paul eventually is saying there, actually, we don't really have any letters of commendation. And what he says is this, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Paul was saying, do you know, the people that I work amongst, they're my letter of commendation. Because as you look at them, you see evidence of the Spirit of God at work. It doesn't come just from a certificate or from some accreditation or from some board or from someone acknowledges that we've reached a certain standard. Ultimately, whether or not we are anointed by God and working in the power of his spirit and making an effective difference in the lives of other people is actually seen in the transformation that comes about in the lives of the people that we're ministering to. And so, in the end, and I know Eddie won't mind me, it's just you're sitting there, like you shouldn't sit there, and say, Eli, you know, in the end, it isn't about her honours degree in music. And we look at that and we pin it up on the wall and say, yeah, that'll make all the difference tonight. What is her commendation? It's the fact that when she's led us in worship tonight, we haven't been queuing up for her autograph at the end of the night. We've been worshiping Christ and exalting him and glorifying him and we sense his presence among us. That's my commendation. Not the letters or the certificates or the board approval or whatever. And so that's essentially what Paul was saying. He's saying, in the end, my commendation is the result of the Spirit's work that I have done among you. It's the Spirit of God who ultimately makes our ministry significant or not. It's the Spirit who provides us with commendation. And then secondly, the Spirit provides us with confidence. So verse 4 just simply says this, such confidence as we have through Christ before God. So Paul's not talking here about self-confidence. You know, yeah, of course I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm brilliant and I've done that lots of times before. And of course, just leave it with me and I'll, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I can just do it. You know, just leave it with me. It's not that sort of exuberant, natural confidence that is clearly just of the flesh. But this is a confidence that Paul says comes through Christ before God by the Holy Spirit. And how important it is that as Christians we are depending on the Holy Spirit so that we can have confidence to see God do stuff in our church and in our community today. Clive Calver, most of you won't have heard of. The people who knew Major Ian Thomas's name will also know who Clive Calver was. But um, whenever I was growing up, he was sort of like, uh, 
one of the national leaders, I think, within the Evangelical Alliance in the UK. And uh, he wrote a book called um, With a Church Like This, Who Needs Satan? It's a great title, isn't it? With a Church Like This, Who Needs Satan? Because he was reflecting on so many of the churches up and down the country, up and down the nation, that in theory took the name of Jesus, but actually had lost the plot. They had no real commitment to the good news of the gospel of Christ. And when it came to living in the power of the indwelling spirit, that was even further away from their thinking. And so he says, with a church like that, who needs Satan? And then he goes on to tell a story. And uh, he he talks about this minister um, who normally wore like a dog collar, but on this occasion he wasn't wearing a dog collar. And he went into this like motorbike shop. And he was thinking, he must have been like sort of my age and had a sort of middle life crisis or whatever, you know. Um, They call them born-again bikers. Um, In fact, most people that get killed on motorbikes are not young guys. They're guys of my age who couldn't afford big bikes whenever they were 18. And then they get to 60-odd and they think, oh, I can afford a big bike, but they can't handle it. And um, so you discover sometimes that the insurance for people of my age for bikes is actually even more than for people in their 20s. Anyway, he went in and he went over to this Honda or Ducati, whatever it was, you know, 1,000 cc. And uh, it was just magic. Um, and uh, chrome mudguards. So, you know, I, I don't know where oh, Heather's sitting over there. You know, I used to have a motorbike with chrome mudguards and a, and a gold tank. But, th- but this was far bigger than that. And sometimes, you know, I would be like going like about 50 or 60 and Heather would be hitting me on the back saying, come on, go a bit faster. It's hard to believe that. The only problem was I also went at the same speed through the middle of the city, and she didn't like that. And, uh, you know, there were times her knees were touching the sides of the buses and things, which wasn't very good. But anyway, this guy was getting in, and, uh, you know, he looked at this 1,000cc Ducati, and uh, it was just gleaming in the showroom window. Chrome mudguards, metallic gold tank. And uh, the salesman came over and said, do you know, are you, are you interested? And he says, yeah, 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 yeah. And he started telling him about the brake horsepower. And he says, you know, if you were on this bike, and he says, you'd be not to 60 in three seconds or something, you know. And he says, like, you'd be the coolest dude in town, you know. And, 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 and he says, do you want to have a wee go on it? And, and so, you know, the minister puts his leg over and he's sitting on it and in his imagination he just thinks about himself turning up to church on this big metallic dream motorbike thinking wow do you know and then the salesman's just trying to be friendly and just to keep the conversation going as they do and he says by the way sir what do you actually do And he says, well, I'm a minister, like a clergyman. And there was this big silence for about 20 seconds. And then the salesman said, I'm I'm sorry, sir. Um, This probably isn't for you. We've got some beautiful lawnmowers out the back. And they're really safe and reliable 
and they have a 10-year guarantee. And uh, they really will do everything that you'll ask them to do and more. And the problem is that in the eyes of many people, including sometimes within the church, but certainly at times within the world, they see the church as being like an old big lawnmower that you'd mow the bowling green with. You know, it's safe and sound and reliable. But actually in the early church, the church was more like a thousand cc Ducati. Do you know that those early disciples were going out, excited, enthused, empowered by the Spirit of God, confident that God would make a difference in the lives of many people as they proclaimed the good news of Christ to them. And so I suppose again, I want to encourage us as a church and encourage us individually and whatever we do in church to say, have we confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence that we have a God who is an amazing God, a God who's able to do far more than ever we can ask or imagine, a God who can genuinely transform people's lives. A God who can transform the lives of our community and make a difference. And then thirdly and finally, for those who have been looking for the seas, the third thing he says is that the Spirit of God gives us competence. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives a life. And in a sense, this ties in with the previous two points. Our competence comes from God, not in ourselves. Of course, we can train, and, uh, and that's a really good thing to do. We can train theologically. We can train musically. We can train in terms of youth ministry. We can train in terms of prayer ministry. And all of those things are right and good and proper. But in the final analysis, we also need to know the giftings of God's Holy Spirit. Anointed by that same Holy Spirit to enable us to be effective in the work of God's kingdom. And if we don't minister in the giftings of God's Holy Spirit, we can end up just getting in the way or even being a danger to others. It was way back in the days of Princess Diana. And I don't know whether it was the same time as she was visiting some of the AIDS wards in the East End of London. But a story emerged in that context that there was a doctor working in the AIDS ward who had absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. We've no idea, or I've no idea, I can't remember the story, how he ended up you know, coming into the country and managing to wear a white coat and actually seeking to help and, and work alongside these patients who were critically ill. 
So, in one sense, it really is vitally important that whatever we do, we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do need to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that well. And if we seek to do God's stuff in our own strength, we can end up doing more harm than good. In fact, we can end up doing damage. And he says, the Spirit who provides us with competence is the minister of a new covenant. The old covenant was one that was characterized by rules and regulations and demands and living up to certain standards. But this new covenant, this new covenant of the Spirit enables us to have life. Life with a capital L and to minister life into others. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Paul goes on to say, there is freedom. What a contrast to the old law and the old covenant. So there we have it tonight. Before Pentecost, the disciples found it hard to do easy things. After Pentecost, they found it easy to do hard things. And one final quotation from another guy who's long since gone, A.W. Tozer. And some of you will have read many of his books. But in one of his books, he says something like this, and I'm not quoting him word for word. But he said, if the Holy Spirit withdrew from many of our churches today, the Holy Spirit like just withdrew, 95% of our activities would carry on as normal and no one would notice the difference. But in contrast, in New Testament times, if the Holy Spirit withdrew from 95% of all that was going on, then everyone would notice the difference. And almost everything that was happening would end up ceasing. But the first part of that quotation is so challenging. If the Holy Spirit withdrew from Kirkentillic Baptist Church tonight, what percentage of our activities would carry on the rest of this week? And would anyone know any difference? If the Holy Spirit withdrew from KBC tonight, and that's not good theology, but you understand what I mean. If we carried on living our lives with no dependence on the Holy Spirit, would FNL just carry on as normal? Would house groups just carry on as normal? Would all our pastoral ministry just carry on as normal? And would anyone notice any difference? To me, that's really worrying. And that's why the start of every day, we need to do as C.S. Lewis used to say, every day is the start of a new day with God. And we need to acknowledge our utter dependence upon him and trust him that we'll find his strength and his anointing and his help day by day. So tonight, tomorrow morning, before you even start doing the things that you know you can do, 
before you even start doing the things that you've done for years and years and years, before you even start doing the things that you know you've done well for years and years and years, we need to say, Spirit of God, just come and fall on me afresh and anoint me and enable me to do this stuff for your glory in the coming days. That's how important it is. And so, I can't remember what Mark said we were going to do next, but I think it would be good if we sang that song that we just sung half an hour ago. Is that okay? (laughs) And, And then, I think Ailey's chosen a little song called... Spirit of the Living God, which goes back to the days of Major Ian Thomas and A.W. Tozer and all of those people from donkeys years ago. But as we sing this first song about spirit breakout, make that, yeah, come on up, guys. Make that, make that a prayer for the ministry in which you're involved. Make that a prayer for the church here at KBC. And as we sing this other little song, we'll maybe sing it two or three times. I think there will be opportunity later on to have prayer ministry in the corner. But you know, if you're just in FNL or in a house group or in whatever sphere of ministry, and you're just conscious that you've just been doing stuff, but without really depending on the Holy Spirit, why don't you just come forward at the front and the prayer ministry team will just pray for you here at the front. And, um, and we love to do that. And, and I suspect many of us probably need to do that, including me. It's very easy just to come into the office on a Monday morning and get on the computer and go to a team meeting. And before you know it, we're into the middle of the day and we're just getting into gear and not really have acknowledged the need for God's Holy Spirit. So let's stand... And um, I'll hand over to Mark uh, at this point as well. Yeah.